Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. This morning's scripture is from 1 Kings chapter 19. Just a little uh, background as, we, as you find it, or as I find it. <clears throat> this passage is not a whole lot further after last week's uh, passage um, that was right before uh, Elijah and the prophets of the Baals. This is right after Elijah and the prophets of the Baals. <clears throat> you can remember that Elijah stood up on Mount Carmel and he's, as he's, he's calling on God and God delivers. God takes care of the altar. He burns the altar. He burns the stones. He, uh, it says he laps up the water that's around the, sacri- the altar. <clears throat> and that's where exactly where we're at in this morning's passage. So as you uh, take a look, we're going to actually go to uh, verse 11, um, so you'll have, to, you'll either have to either trust me or open your, your scripture to see verse 11. We just, I decided to go an extra verse. <clears throat> First Kings uh, chapter 19 says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, ever, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not take your life, or do not make your life like that one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under that tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat. For the journey is too much for you. He got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. May God add his blessing to the reading of the word this morning. And as as we prepare to sing, I would uh, offer the opportunity to uh, bring your world mission offering up. You would be speaking into our hearts. Lord, we got up this morning probably with little expectations. A chance to come and to sit. And Lord, I pray that you would work in a powerful way that we would walk away with a better understanding of who you are. Lord, speak into our lives that we might change our lives, Lord, to look like you. 
mold us. Lord, help us to be soft and sensitive to hear your word this morning. Lord, speak those words into our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I think I'm working on a frog, and I sure don't like it. <clears throat> if my wife gave me a, a cold, she's in trouble. <laughs> yeah, she'll be done, and I'll be like, <laughs> So what do you do when things in life don't go to the plan that you have set up? Call the police. What do you do when things don't go to plan? Change the plan. That's normally what we do, right? Or scream and kick and stomp our feet. And if we're adults, we don't do it where everybody else can see us. If we're kids, we just do it where we're at, right? This morning's story, we're going to pick up from that very moment when Elijah is standing after the victory. God has just torched the altar. Now, you remember, Elijah was on the run for three-plus years. He was on the run. They were trying to get him. Ahab was going to get this guy. Finally, we had the showdown. We got the showdown. God has proved himself. And what do you think Elijah's thinking at that very moment? When he walks away, they, they talk about he walks away. Guess what else happens at that moment? The clouds start, this one little cloud starts to form, and then it gets dark, and then it starts to rain. Talk about victory, right? Elijah says, this is a victory. God has proved himself, burnt the altar, it starts to rain. I have gone through the challenge in my life. I've gone through that valley, and now I'm working my way right back up on the mountain. And you got to ask yourself, how long does Elijah's mountaintop experience last? All of a day? He's sitting at home probably thinking, it's good to be a prophet of the king. When he gets a knock on the door, right? Oh, look, I wonder who it is. Probably somebody thanking me because God's people did bow their down and repented. Nope. Not at all. It's a messenger from Jezebel. And uh, he has a message for Elijah. Not a great message. Be it ever <laughs> for me that you should last another day. You killed my prophets, I'll kill you. You better get on a run. <laughs> I always thought, I always wondered the question, if you're going to kill somebody, why would you give them a chance to know it? But I, I, don't, I don't understand that part, but, right? I mean, if I was, gonna, if I was, if I was Jezebel, I wouldn't have probably called to say, hey, I just called to let you know I'm going to get you today. <laughs> Maybe she liked to torture them. She had tortured a whole lot of other of God's prophets and killed them. <clears throat> May the gods deal with me ever be it so severely if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like one of Baal's prophets dead. See, and we didn't, we didn't get a hold of, we didn't get much of Jezebel last week. Jezebel was the wife of Ahab 
And probably, from what other scriptures show, probably one of the reasons that Ahab was uh, even in the Baal worship. Uh, she, she tortured some of God's prophets. Um, she said, it said in 1 Kings 21 that she had a very strong and influential personality. Um, talk about things not going to plan. God takes Elijah to the valley. He takes him to the mountaintop. And it's just like that roller coaster ride, right? Ah, right off the end again. And what does Elijah do? Exactly what we would do, right? What does Elijah do? It says he's afraid and he runs for his life. Back on the run. He'd been running for three years. He was probably pretty good at running at that point. He had figured out running. At that very moment, he realized, I am not out of the woods yet. And fear overtook him. Fear overtook him at that very moment. The fear that Jezebel would get him. And one of the things that, uh, that really sticks out in this passage to me, ah, went too far. That was a good one too, no. Is that fear is noisy. Have you ever thought about fear being noisy in our lives? When God is speaking, sometimes it's kind of hard to hear him because there's a whole lot of other clutter and clatter and clanging in our own lives. Sometimes it's so loud that we can't even hear God. Isn't that what happens at this moment? Elijah is overtaken by fear, overtaken by the fact that he is going to again be chased down. See, Elijah knew that Jezebel wasn't messing around. She had killed a whole bunch of other prophets. He knew he was in trouble. He had raised the ire of the queen, and he was going to be in trouble. Fear in our own lives drowns out the voice of God. And sometimes it can be really difficult because we allow fear to rule our life. One of the things that... Uh, I did a long time ago, and I would challenge you. Uh, does anybody have any idea how many times fear is in Scripture? How many? Seven. No, a few more. 252 times. That's a lot of verses. That's a lot of words. What do you think that Scripture says about fear? Exactly. There's only one thing we should fear. Fear God and keep his commandments. There are so many that fear God, keep his commandments. Do you realize that the fear that you have of all these other things in life, they're not of God, not at all. There is one thing that we fear. Fear God, keep his commandments. And if you don't believe me, I would challenge you to look up those words and look up all those words of fear and, and take a look at where God, that word is used in Scripture. It says, fear God, keep his commandments, and what I would add, nothing else. No fear. You know, I think sometimes we get into that point where fear just takes over, and we always are waiting for the other shoe to, you ever heard that, that thing? We're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. We're always waiting for the next, what's going to happen now? You know, we walk kind of gun shy. 
And yet God says, listen, fear me and I'll take care of the rest. It's the part that, to me, Elijah missed at this very moment. He forgot that God was still in control of his life. God was still in charge. I, I am absolutely, oh, I wanted to show you this picture. I like this picture. Isn't that how fear works? It's not a scary picture of the hand, but boy, don't we make fear out to be a whole lot worse or bigger or nastier than it really is. I'm, I'm always amazed by the way God works <laughs> and how God works in absolutely, you know, I talked to Mark Zero about what he was going to, what verse he was going to talk about this morning. Um, this happens to be a verse that I hold very dear to my heart. And I would, I would encourage you to write that down in Philippians 4, 6, uh, if, if you start back at 4, it's Philippians 4.4, 4, which is rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. But these are verses that if you're going to memorize some verses or write them on your hand, these are the verses you want. Philippians 4.6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, present your requests to God. And what will happen? And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Did you see that part, the second line? Which transcends all understanding. That means we don't have to understand it. We don't have to have it figured out. And yet there's still peace. There have been some moments in my life where there was peace and I have no clue how I got there. Short of God. Short of God. Peace. Do you realize how negative and, and bad fear can be in your own life? I want to share a story with you. Um, I, I got permission from my wife, so that was good. She likes me a little bit. She let me. Um, that talks about, that, that, that really puts feet to fear. Because I think, I think one of the struggles is we have fear, but we only, we only believe that we can never get over that, that we can, we're going to be stuck with that fear, that it'll always be a part of our life. And, and, and the challenge for me with fear is that it sometimes takes over so much of our life. It becomes who we are. We, are, we become fearful people, and we think that we're trapped in this box of fear, and we can't get out of that because it's who we are. And I'm, and I'm challenged by that idea because I don't believe that's what Scripture tells us. And I don't believe that God wants believers in a box of fear. And if you look at Scripture and you understand that God wants us to minister to other people and that's, our, that's part of our, our job, who we are as people, to reflect God. I don't see God in a box. I don't see God trapped by fear. And so I want to challenge you to think about the fears that you have this morning. The story starts in about 2002, um, and that was, that's a long time ago. It's getting to be a long time ago, um, but it starts in 2002 when my wife was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and uh, if you know anything about bipolar, it, it can be extremely ugly. Uh, it has, its, it has an, an ugly side to it, but as we went down that road, of course, when you're 
when you're dealing with something, you don't know what you have, what's, what's going on. Part of the struggle is you read all the things, all this information online, you read the books, and all you do is find out that it's, it's terrible. <laughs> That's all you find out. You find out that it's not going to kill me, but I might want to be dead. That's the, that's the kind of information you get. If you look it up online, if you ask other people, all you do is find out that people's lives are turned upside down, and they are by bipolar. And so we started this journey in 2002. And, and you know, the first doctor we went to, <laughs> they're like two years, no less than two years to get the meds uh, organized, to get the meds equal out. Up until that, anything's possible. And you've, you've, like I, have heard those stories about bipolar people who jump off buildings, who go on these rampages, all these mental health uh, struggles. And we see those things, and, and those are the first things that go to your mind. You're like, oh, man, this is going to be bad. Fast forward to 2011, 2012. We spent nine years on the roller coaster, not looking, praying, but not really looking towards God, trying to sort out the details, trying to understand. I, I told someone a long time ago, I felt like Humpty Dumpty. Somebody kicked me off the wall, and, and I, nobody put the pieces back together. That's how I felt. That, that wasn't the truth. And I think that's how Elijah felt in this, in this very moment. But in 2011, we had gone through those, those uh, ups and downs, and we began to pray that God would heal Talk about a scary prayer. Talk about a scary... Do you understand what you're asking God to do? This is not something that can heal you. You can be healed from. It's a lifelong issue. Well, part of the, part of the prayer time, and we had other people praying at that moment and trying to sort out those details, God, in his awesome power, brought someone into my wife's office who knew this doctor, a therapist. And she said to me that night, she said, and uh, just a, a little bit of background, that we had done the therapy thing over and over and over, and it hadn't gone all that great. It just had just not had been very good. I got this Christian therapist who, and she said when she got home, she said, Dad, or Dad, she told <laughs> That's what my kids say, right? She said to me, you know what? If I get fired tomorrow, this is the reason I got this job. That's what she said. That's how impactful that very moment, this one person's name. He's a believer in Christ. And she said, we need to go there. We need to go to, to see this guy. I said, all right. And then you're probably thinking, yeah, and he's, is he a faith healer? What is it? You know, right? Sign me up, right? Sign me up. If I got a problem, sign me up with this guy because he took care of the problem. I wish it was that easy, huh? We just went, I wish it, we just went once and it was that easy. It wasn't that easy. The journey was about three years long. Week in, week out. Meeting with this guy. And recognizing that a lot of the struggles of bipolar were connected to fears. Connected to fears that she had from childhood. Did that take away bipolar? No. But it, it, it squashed that bipolar. And of course, as you're going through this process, you're like, 
Hold your breath, right? The other shoe to fall. Hold your breath. Is something going to happen? Is it not going to go well? And I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to tell anybody because if I tell anybody and something goes wrong and things don't go the way I thought, is she healed? You know, you, you, if you've been there, you know. You understand where I'm coming from. It's challenging because, God, I have faith. Help me in my unbelief, right? I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Well, we're four years into it, and God has been faithful. Powerful. Powerful. And you know what I got out of that? One, God is faithful. Two, we allow fear to take over our lives. My wife is fearless these days. She's about to jump on a plane. If you know anything about her, she hates planes. She's about to jump on a plane in three weeks or so and fly by herself all the way to California. Why? Because God has released her from that fear. Church, we need to understand where the fear is in our lives and to remove that fear. That's what took Elijah on the wrong path. He went on the wrong path. Why? Because he got scared again. He thought, God is God just, think about that. God had just burned up the altar, all the rocks, all the water. The, all this stuff had happened. And he gets a phone. <laughs> he doesn't get a phone call. He gets a knock on the door. And at that very moment, fear again takes control. If you don't hear another thing in this passage today, understand and ask yourself that question. What, is, what fears are ruling my life today? God does not want us to live a life that's loaded with fear, that cont- fear controls us. What are the things we're not doing for God? What are the people we're not going to share our faith with because we're afraid we might look silly? We're afraid someone's going to think differently of us. But you don't understand, I have to work 40 hours a week with them. But you don't understand where their eternity will land. Powerful, powerful message from God. Don't allow that fear to become so noisy in your own life that you can no longer be of any good for God. Second thing in this passage that sticks out to me is that God continues to provide for Elijah. Elijah had a moment of need. God provided. Elijah wanted to go and die, and yet God provided. See, Elijah had forgotten at that moment that God was still in control, that God was still there right beside him. Elijah need reassured. And you know, if, if it's me, I think, well, if you turn your back on me, I'll turn my back on you. But God didn't turn his back on Elijah at all. Elijah had turned his back on God. God was right there. Elijah was to the end of his rope. I have nothing left to do. Do you realize he went a day's, he said he left his servant and went a day's journey into the, into the desert. He didn't go into the desert for something to do. He went into the desert planning to die. There's an opportunity, and I don't, I don't know that I've ever spoke about mental illness uh, in a sermon, but I think, I think that it needs to be uh, something we, we discuss a whole lot more 
and we talk about in the church setting instead of turning our heads and, and forgetting that it exists. If there is a passage in Scripture, and I have looked at a lot of passages on depression, trying to understand where God thinks about depression and how it fits in Scripture, and, and is it something we made up in the 21st century, the 20th century, or is it, is it something real? And if you can't see depression in this, then you don't really understand much about depression. Elijah says, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. Remember, he walked in a day's walk into the desert. Do you understand that depression is real? I spent four years in college trying to figure this out. Obviously, no one has a real good handle on it. But they do know this, that biologically and environmentally, it's a real thing. It's not someone feeling sad. It's not someone trying to get attention. It's a real thing, and if we need to get real about it in the church. If someone has a broken leg, we don't tell them, you just stay at home and it'll heal itself. We take them to the doctor, and we put a cast on that leg. We put a splint on a broken finger and arm. And the mind is no, no less. The hard part is we can't see it, right? It's hard to see depression or bipolar or schizophrenia, or you name one. It's hard to see that. We, can't, we see the actions and we think, oh, they're just a bad kid. Pick one, right? You can pick all those. But it is. It's real. That's a picture to remind me to talk about depression. I do want to talk about, though, that, that God provides, and he does provide, and he continues to provide. And you may remember manna in the wilderness. I like this picture the best. I don't know. It was kind of a silly picture, but, but it reminds me, you know, the Israelites, they leave Egypt, and, and oh, what do they do? Pretty soon, they complain. They said, hey, we could have sat around the meat pot and ate all we could eat. Now you took us out of, the, you took us out of Egypt, and now we're going to starve to death. I should have went back. And God delivers, like he always delivers, he always delivers. He delivers manna and quail as it falls from the sky. Just like in Elijah's life, God delivers. I don't know about you, but it's an interesting story because an angel shows up and says, hey, I got some food for you. And then he comes again, I got some food for you. And he takes care of him so he can go, what says, 40 days to go back. We should have sang, we should have sang this song today. I didn't think of this till too late. But Jehovah Jireh, you know that song? I, I don't know if you think it's a silly song or, um, I, I like the song. But it's the faster, yeah, it is the faster and faster song. But Jehovah Jireh, that's God our provider. God will provide. God will provide. Hang tight. Hold on. God will provide. Sometimes our, our thought process is maybe is not what we need, but what we want. And when God doesn't provide our wants, we struggle. God will provide your needs. 
in America, we have plenty more than we could want. Or more than that we need, I'm sorry. More, that we need, more than we need. Finally, the, the last part, we're nine, verses 9 through 11, where Elijah cries out. God says, hey, what are you doing here? And Elijah cries out, I am the only one left. God, do you hear me? Now, one of the cool things of this passage is that if you, you know much about Scripture, you, the next Scripture is where God speaks to him in a small, still voice. You probably, you've heard that story, and I would encourage you to read the rest of chapter 19. I love that story. Uh, the part that stuck with me, though, was a piece in the beginning to get to that story, what was going on between the two stories. He stands out there, and it's like a hurricane. I think you can appreciate that this week. And God speaks in a small, still voice. Elijah cries out at that moment. God, I think you forgot about me. I think you left. I just want to die because I got... I just can't do this anymore is what I'm hearing. I just can't do this anymore, God. I cannot continue to do this. And God says, I hear you. I hear you. I'm about to speak to you. Get out there and listen. Psalm 91 reminds me that it says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When you call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. God hears us. He hasn't forgotten about you. You know, for some of us, maybe we haven't heard God in a long time. Maybe that noise has gotten so loud in our, inside of us that, it, that fear controls us and we no longer hear. We can no longer hear God. Or maybe you've never even had an experience with God. Maybe you don't have a faith. I have a friend who told me a long time ago, intelligent guy, doctor, who said, you know, I went to church and I heard about this Jesus guy. And I kind of liked him. So I started to share this Jesus guy with friends of mine, with people. And I actually began to lead people to Christ. And I wasn't a believer myself. He said, I was able, I understood it in my mind, but he said, I don't, I said, I was probably really close, but I hadn't put God first in my heart. I hadn't placed God in my heart. I understood my mind, but not so much with my heart. And it reminds me that, you know, lots of times we can come and hear of God and understand who God is and understand that Jesus died on the cross and that he raised again and he raised again for me. But we aren't willing to put it into our heart. And I want to challenge you this morning that if you haven't placed Jesus squarely in your heart, it's going to be, you're not going to hear those cries. It's going to be hard to hear his cries, those cries to hear his small, still voice. I want to challenge you this morning that if you have a fear 
that has been eating you alive, that's been bothering you this whole morning. I prayed for you this morning at 7 o'clock that God would get you out of bed and that today would be not a normal day, that God would place something on your heart and that you'd know full well. And I want to challenge you to have the guts to put it at the altar this morning. If God has placed that on your heart this morning, lay it at the altar. Those fears bind us up. They hold us back. They keep us from doing the things that God would have us to do. And I promise you that is not what he wants for us. That is not a victorious life. If you don't know who this Jesus guy is, the difference that he makes the dying on the cross, the being raised again, if that doesn't make any impact in your life, the hope that you have from that, then I would challenge you to come to the altar this morning. Bring that burden to the altar. And if you think, well, someone's going to think, I don't care what anybody thinks. And neither should you. We're all broken people. Elijah was, you know, Elijah's one of those heroes of of the Bible. One of those people, he's like, Yeah, this is one of the guys we set up on the pedestal, right? He didn't even die. Got sucked right into heaven. However God did that, I don't know. But he's one of those heroes. And yet in this passage we see that Elijah was broken. Broken. So far that he wanted to die. You have an opportunity this morning to respond. Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you this morning for your word. Lord, I thank you that we can come and take a look at it, Lord, and and really see the life of Elijah. Lord, I pray for those who, even at this moment, are terrified that you may be calling them to the altar this morning. I pray, Lord, for those who don't have a relationship with you, who know of you maybe, Lord, but don't know you and haven't given their heart to you. I pray, Lord, that you would would encourage them, that you would, Lord, push them, move them. Lord, I pray that if that's the problem, that the person next to them would uh, be involved in, their, in their, uh, an opportunity to help. Lord, we know that you are a powerful, mighty God. Lord, we know that we don't have to live in fear. That, Lord, we don't have to live worried about the next day, the next step, the next thing I'm going to say. Lord, you gave us a Holy Spirit, a Spirit upon us, in us, to guide our lives as believers. Lord, show us that power. In your name we pray. Amen.